Some stories, when you hear them again and again, lose their power with their familiarity. This, however, is not one of those stories. How many times have I heard the crucifixion story and had the opportunity to preach on Good Friday or on Palm Sunday, but each time it becomes very difficult to know what to say and how to say it. Today I know uh, there's no way of examining all the things that went on today, but I'd like to share a few short reflections that encourage you to think about different perspectives of what's gone on today. We'll speak more deeply on the cross and its meaning on Good Friday when we gather to commemorate Jesus' death. But here on Palm Sunday, one of the things that strikes me the most each time I gather on Palm Sunday is the difference that goes on in the hearts of the people between Palm Sunday and a few days later on Good Friday. But you notice as Jesus comes in, he's proclaimed as king, they wave branches, they throw down their coats in praise. And what do they do that for? Just as a, a royal figure comes with a red carpet nowadays so that he doesn't get his boots dirty, people throw their own cloaks so that Jesus doesn't touch the ground. This is a profound uh, way of honoring a person they consider king, and they say that very thing. This is the king, the long-awaited Messiah. And then, as you heard in our reading just a few minutes ago, many of those same people are the ones yelling, crucify him. We'd rather have a criminal and murderer set free than to let this man who is innocent go. So what do we learn from these contrasts? Here's one of the first things I think is really interesting and important for us. But on a deep human level, how easy it is for us when we look at this story, how easy it is for us to be drawn by the crowds to take our opinions, our thoughts, our beliefs, and our actions, because that is what everybody else is doing. Here we have a crowd who's wrapped up in joy, proclaiming Jesus is king, and then we see a few days later a crowd wrapped up in murderous rage. There's actually quite a deal of similarity between those two groups. Both are wrapped up in something bigger than themselves, one for good, the other for evil. Many of you probably can think back to times in high school where this sort of thing, although not as serious as what we see here, manifested itself a lot in your life. I played football in high school, and one of the things that I loved about playing football when I was in high school was the sense of camaraderie as a team. You get all amped up when you're ready to, to, to do combat against the other team, and you would have uh, people cheering in the stands, and you want to do right, and so it spurs you to something good. You're wrapped up in something great. And that's something I'm still proud of, but there are things that I'm not so proud of. I can think of times in school at how often we shunned or mocked or frankly bullied other kids who didn't fit in very well. Not because I had any individual beef against them, but because everybody in my circle of friends, all the people whose opinions mattered to me were the ones doing it, and I went along. I lacked the courage to stand out above the crowd. Here we say in the most serious matters of all, Jesus, the Son of the living God, comes, and people are wrapped up but instead of saying I'm wrapped up because I see Jesus for who I am, they, or for who he is, they are wrapped up in the excitement of the crowd and so easily changes when the crowd's mood changes. It leads us to question how we conduct ourselves in this world. Thankfully today in modern Canada, we're rarely wrapped up in a mob that's murderous like it was back in Jerusalem on that day so long ago, but it happens throughout the world. Many of you will remember the terrible events of the Rwandan genocide where people who were friends and neighbors turned against each other. Why? Because a mob rose up and demanded that you kill somebody who looks like you, who speaks like you, who is no different, except that on their identity card was a different tribe than the tribe you live in. Several degrees removed but of the same kind are the kinds of things we see happen on social media. Some person makes a mistake and 10,000 people jump on them on Twitter to say how terrible they are. 
Or how easy is it for us to form cliques in our offices, cliques in our schools, to do things that we wouldn't normally do because we are empowered to do something wicked by the crowd around us? Here's a question we should ask ourselves when we hear these two stories laid side by side. Where is our heart? Is it committed to what is good and right? Or is our heart simply committed to doing what everybody else around us is doing? Here's the second thing. Observe the contrast between the attitudes and behaviors of the crowds and Jesus' attitude and behavior as he enters Jerusalem and as he faces the crowds yelling, crucify. Jesus, when he's coming into the city, what happens? We hear, of course, about the great excitement the crowd has. You know what we don't hear? Jesus is heart lifted. He's exalted because everybody around likes me so much. In fact, when the Pharisees say, tell these crowds to be quiet, Jesus says, if they didn't, the stones would cry out. They're simply proclaiming the truth, and God is the one putting these things into their mouths. But he isn't fooled about the nature of the crowd. He doesn't become the king they want him to be. Instead, he humbly comes into Jerusalem on a colt that's never been ridden. Imagine how ridiculous a figure that must have been as a horse that wanders around so small, so young, that Jesus perhaps is dragging his heels on the ground as he is riding it into the city. Jesus doesn't become the king they want. They want him to grab the sword, but when his disciples say, shall we take up the sword, and they actually slash the ear of one of the people attacking them, Jesus puts a stop to it and heals the man and goes with them. What does Jesus do when the crowds are yelling, crucify him? Jesus has no answer. He doesn't call down fire from heaven. He doesn't hate them. Instead, Jesus simply goes on for the task he knows he has to do. Why? Because he doesn't care what the crowd thinks. And although his heart is broken when his disciples turn away from him, he knows the most important thing is not what those around him think. The most important thing is that he entrusts himself into the hands of the one who can truly be trusted, and that is his father. The last word Jesus says before his death, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus does this because he knows that when all is stripped away, when every friend is gone, when every creaturely comfort is taken away, what is left? His Father in heaven, and he can be trusted. We are unafraid to look at the events of Good Friday as terrible as they are because we know that Jesus' trust was well placed. When he gave up his spirit to the Father and he was buried in the tomb that Joseph of Arimathea provided, what did God do? He rolled away the stone, he raised his son from the dead, and he gave all the world hope that death is not the last word. For God can be trusted even before the tomb. Here's the last reflection I'd like to offer. What's interesting about this passage, I think above every other thing, is how knowledgeable Jesus is about what was going to happen. And yet he still does it. Jesus, we heard a few weeks ago in a sermon I preached, and he stands before the gates of Jerusalem and he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that stones the prophets and kills those that are sent to you. And he later weeps and laments and says, Jerusalem, I long to console you, to gather you like a hen gathers chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Jesus knows what he's about to face in Jerusalem, relentless hostility, and death. He says at the Last Supper, one of you will betray me. He knows Judas, the person who had been eating with him, is going to stab him in the back. He knows when Peter and all the disciples say, I'll never leave you, Peter, I know better, you will leave me. And he knows very well what's going to happen, that the hate gathered around him will mean he is nailed to a cross. 
What does Jesus say in addition to Father, I commend my spirit? He says, Father, forgive them if they do not know what they're doing. Jesus looks and he sees exactly what the people he's about to encounter are capable of. Malice, ignorance, weakness. But he still flings open the gates to Jerusalem and he rides in and he does it because he knows how much he loves the people who hate him. Now, why that's so deeply important is because we stand now at the very last days of Lent, and Lent is a time in particular where we are encouraged to introspection, to self-examination, to bring the things in our heart up and say, what's wrong with the life that we're living? Are I, am I holding on to grudges? Am I turning away from the things I need to, to take on? Am I uh, not being the person God made me to be? And honestly, if you're really looking inside of yourself, you're going to encounter things you'd rather not see. At the beginning of Lent, I put on the altar a, a, a list of things that I wanted to do this Lent. And here, as your priest standing before you can tell you, I've messed a lot of them up. And the danger then in that introspection is to say, my gosh, this is not very good. I'm going to hide it away because I don't want anybody to see it. Even more so to say, I'm going to hide it away because I don't want God to see it. Sometimes the times where we're most aware of our sin are the times we most want to avoid coming to church, coming and opening our hearts to God because we know very well that this is not what he wanted of us. So what do we do on Palm Sunday as we go through the difficult days ahead and ultimately leading to the crucifixion on Good Friday? I think we look back to Palm Sunday and say Jesus knew full well what was in the hearts of those who were going to greet him, but he still came to them anyway. He opened up the gates of Jerusalem and came in. And so what is he asking us to do today? To open up the gates of our hearts, even though we know that just like Jerusalem had corruption and wicked things, we open up the gates of our hearts knowing there are things we wish weren't there. But we open up the gates of our hearts because we know that when Christ comes in, what's coming in as a Savior who loves those who aren't always measuring up to what God wants of them. Our Lord Jesus asks us today, will you open up the gates to let the King of Glory come in? And Jesus invites us as we gather here at the altar to remember that not only is he offering himself to us, we are walking past a basket of palm crosses. God is well aware that there is something bittersweet in coming to him. There is joy and there is sorrow for the ways that we've made mistakes. But what we hold up in that palm cross is that this king that we wave branches for loved us enough to die for us, even though he knew that we wouldn't do the right thing when we encountered him. Jesus said to them, and he says to us, Father, forgive them if they do not know what they are doing. And that is what Jesus promised to us to it promises to us today. As we go about the next days of Holy Week, which are difficult, and ultimately uh, come to the Resurrection Sunday, Easter Sunday, remember that the Lord who entered into Jerusalem long ago is the Lord who walks with us and wants what's best for us, will not hold against us the things that we do wrong, but instead wants to lift us up so that we might live in the newness of life that he wanted to bring us.